I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about why Flag Day offends leftists, Biden dementia at the G7, the Arizona audit and American reckoning, and new generation of American leaders needed. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today is Flag Day. I actually love Flag Day. We have flags out at our house a lot, you know, throughout the year, but I love Flag Day. And I want to spend a minute talking about why Flag Day matters and why it annoys the daylights out of the American left. Flags are just like, or similar to, team colors. Like, you know, you go to a game, uh, any kind of game, a high school, college, professional game, you know, you got team colors. It symbolizes who you stand with, who you're with, who you rooting for. Obviously, flags are much deeper and uh, more than just team colors but they are symbolic of who you stand with. Flags are actually, as you likely know, every country in the world has one, and the concept of them is actually really deep and symbolic. Flags are created, flag designs are created to reflect the qualities, the identity, the history, the purpose of nations. And actually of states, every state has their own flag too. Texas, Lone Star, everyone knows the Texas flag. But flags symbolize things about what the nation is. It, they symbolize that there is actually a group of citizens, a group of people on this planet Earth who live within a certain geography and have agreed that they are citizens of a country. And the country has an identity, it has a purpose, it has a history, and the flag represents the people of that. It represents the country. And when you pledge allegiance to the flag, which we still do in America, when you pledge allegiance to the US flag, you're pledging allegiance, not just to the fabric of the flag, but the symbol, what it stands for, what it says about America. Today happens to be the 244th anniversary um, of the Continental Congress adoption of the stars and stripes of our flag, even though it has changed obviously over the years uh, and had to change most recently again when we added our 50th state, Hawaii. But the flag of America stands for what America is. It does inspire in many people, often from veterans, people who have served in America in foreign wars, it symbolizes, yeah, that's what I'm fighting for. Not the symbol, but the very country itself, what this country stands for, what it means, the concept of America's founding, the notion of a country. So back to the 244th anniversary, the flag, the Stars and Stripes actually got started then in 1777 was the first idea. This is going to symbolize who we are. And it was to, to symbolize that we have individual states and, or then colonies, but then states and one country. It symbolized what we are. It symbolizes the ideas of America's founding, the idea that we in America said, we are not going to be servants to a king. We're not going to be subjects to a royal family. We're going to have representative government. We, the people choose our government and we, the people have rights from God because we were born. The flag actually symbolizes all of that. 
It symbolizes the identity of America, the notion that we're a country on this whole massive globe with all the countries there are. This piece of land in America, this is ours. This is who we are as Americans. We stand behind not just the physical symbol, we stand behind the ideas that founded America. The notion of limited government and rights from God because you were born and God-given rights spelled out in the Bill of Rights. Many, many profoundly important concepts are reflected by that flag. And so you had, you maybe heard over the weekend, or if you didn't, or if you get my newsletter, you know, I wrote about it. It was actually, I guess, last week. Um, there was a, uh, a woman who is a New York Times editor and an MSNBC analyst. A woman who is a, obviously, therefore, an accomplished journalist, uh, viewed to be in a high repute, I assume. They wouldn't make her New York Times editor, editorial board if she weren't viewed to be scholarly and insightful. Her name is Mara, or Mara, I believe it's Mara Gay. Last name Gay, G-A-Y, first name M-A-R-A. She was interviewed on MSNBC's Morning Joe uh, show, and she was talking about having traveled out to Long Island last weekend and to go visit a, a friend. And she was talking about having seen pickup trucks and other vehicles on her weekend away where she was really, really bothered. In fact, she used the words disturbed. She was disturbed by the uh, display of American flags, dozens of American flags, which is also just disturbing. These are her words. She saw too many, well, she saw, of course, trunks, trucks that have bumper stickers supporting Trump, Trump uh, uh, pickup trucks, and I guess other vehicles that had, um, as she says, expletives about Joe Biden, probably a lot of them saying, you know, he didn't win, whatever they said. But she was upset, and she, went, she was very specific, saying, I'm upset about seeing so many flags. She found that disturbing. And she took the message of that, uh, of those seeing all those flags, and she said uh, the disturbing message that she felt was clear, I think it's completely concocted in her own head, but what she said the message was, this is my country, this is not your country, I own this. And she went on to describe the display of the flag as racist. I want you to think about that. This is someone, you know, educated enough at least, or held high enough esteem to serve on the New York Times editorial board, which I'm not bragging about, I, I wouldn't brag if I had, I, I wouldn't want that on my resume, but she's viewed by leftists as being really insightful. And the idea of seeing the American flag upsets her. Similarly, if you may recall when Barack Obama was running for president, he did not wear a lapel, a flag lapel pin, as many people do, especially presidential candidates and certainly presidents quite often have on the U.S. flag a small lapel pin on their suits. And Barack Obama didn't do that. He got asked about that. You know, why don't you have a flag pin like everybody else? Why don't you have that? And he made this comment about how, you know, he, he started wearing a flag pin right after 9-11 because he really wanted to, you know, stand up for America. But he said he was very disturbed during the, uh, a presidential campaign when he saw the attacks on John Kerry, the swift boat ads, if you remember the swift boat attack ads on John Kerry about his ridiculous service in Vietnam, and that was a swift boat ad campaign. He was so upset by that that he stopped wearing the flag. And that was his explanation. Not only did this bother him at the time, he was very offended that people dare ask him why he wasn't wearing a flag, but later in his memoir, I think it's in his most recent book, 
he talked about the idea that it was just so offensive why these people have to complain about the flag. Why they make such a big deal because I didn't wear a flag. And he was griping about it as though it was, and of course, the implication taken from his remarks in his book was that he was only being picked on because the people picking on him were racist. It was racist to ask him as President of the United States, how come you don't wear a flag pin like every other president? That was racist to even ask him. And he also was, he actually talked about the idea, of, he talked about the um, John Kerry Swift Boat ads and also talked about uh, people who oppose the Iraq war having their patriotism questioned by the likes of Karl Rove. I don't recall Karl Rove saying that, but maybe he did, who knows. But I want to get, uh, this is really, and to wrap up my first five, I want to try to get this point really clear. The flag symbolizes the ideas of America. The reason leftists get so triggered by the flag is because the foundational ideas of America are antithetical to the ideas of leftism. You simply can't be a dyed-in-the-wool Marxist leftist like Obama is, and perhaps like Mara Gay is, I don't know her, but you can't be marinating in your desire to expand federal government power, take away the rights of citizens, control society, have the government become an overarching, controlling entity in this country. You can't have that country that the Marxists so desperately want and have the idea of America. This is why the flag offends leftists. Now, Mara Gay and um, Biden and maybe others on the left try to say, well, the flag is being symbolized, you know, it, it's come to symbolize racism. This is utter hogwash, caca, lies. It, the point of doing that, the point of every time the left brings up race is to manipulate people, to make people ashamed of their country. When they say, oh, the flag is racist, the flag is not racist. And America is not a race, racist country. We're not going to engage this farce of the American left of rampant white supremacy or the whole systemic racism argument. Americans of every race, religion, skin color, national origin need to stand up and fight back and stop humoring this mission of the Marxists in this country to claim that the idea of America, the country of America, the vast majority of American citizens are somehow uh, guilty of systemic racism, white supremacy, and all the other garbage that goes along with the leftist mission of taking down this country. That is what the left is doing. It's why they push this endless critical race theory argument, why they push systemic racism, why they push white supremacy. They use it to manipulate the American people to cause them to hate America, to cause them to question their fellow citizens. This is why Obama is just triggered by the, the idea of the flag because he's trying to attack the very ideas of America. Obama doesn't like the flag because he does not like the, idea, the foundational ideas of America. He said so in, er, very early on in his first Senate campaign. He complained about the Constitution of America as, his words, a charter of negative liberties. His point was he didn't like the U.S. Constitution because it, for, it took away the ability, it prevented what he wanted to do, was to, which was to massively acquire power and controlling power over the economy, society, businesses, culture, everything at the federal level. And somehow in that crazy constitution, he didn't have the right to do that. That's what he was complaining about.
The Constitution was set up to protect the people from the kind of government that Obama wanted to put in place. He really doesn't like the foundational ideas of America. He likes Marxist, big controlling government. That's what he tried to do when he was in power. It's what he still wants now. It is why the flag symbol bothers him so much because many people, when they look at the flag, when they pledge allegiance to the flag, when they honor Flag Day, they're really saying, I like the real America. I like the actual America as founded. I want a country rooted in the promise of individual liberty for each and every person. I want the idea of rights from God simply because we were born. All of us created equal with rights from God and a, and a purpose of government to protect us, to protect those rights. This is what foundational America is. And this is what many, many people again think through when they honor things like Flag Day on July 4th, they honor that idea of America. And it is that very idea of America that makes leftists so triggered by the flag. The effort, the more recent effort in America by the critical race theory people, the Black Lives Matter, a movement, the 1619 Project, to try to equate America itself with racism is a concocted, intentional, deceptive, manipulation. It is being used. The idea of equating America itself as founding ideals with racism is being used to turn people against the country, turn people against the very foundational goodness of America, turn us against each other. That's the purpose of all of those left-wing efforts, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, 1619 Project, Critical Race Theory. It is to divide and conquer the country. The ideas behind the flag, the ideas behind America are unifying, beautiful, and perfectly available to everyone of every race, creed, ethnicity, national origin. The ideas of America bless everyone, and they prevent the growth of massive federal control over society the left so wants to put in place. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five, except to say, celebrate Flag Day, put your flag out. I hope you can, hope you can do that. So I, I really think Flag Day is a great opportunity again to think about the ideas of America. Okay, so we're gonna turn today, I have a bunch of things I wanna get through. Um, and I, this uh, thing at you know, G7 is happening right now, you likely know, um, and because it's been all over the news, uh, and Joe Biden is there representing uh, the US of A. Um, and so there are, I wanna play a few clips, and I'm doing this for a point, not to make fun of Joe Biden. I really, I, I, I've had, I've watched senior relatives in my family go through dementia. It, it is not, I do not want to mock dementia. Joe Biden is way down the path of dementia, of losing his faculties, of being unable to function. And I'm playing the clips I'm going to play from the G7, not to mock him, but to point out and make you start asking yourself, why would any political party support and put into power and play pretend along with the media in this country, play pretend, oh yeah, Joe Biden's running the country. Yeah, he's really on top of things. He knows what's happening. He's not. They're playing a massive pretend. And I want to be sure you get and understand because some, some of you may think, well, you know, Joe Biden, he's not that bad. He's kind of okay. Let me just play a few clips. This is Joe Biden, leader of the free world at the G7, and I sent Matt a bunch of clips. Matt, the first one um, is actually, I think the very first one I sent you, and the um, language at the top, uh, the uh, tweet is not in English, but it is a picture from G7 
when Joe Biden wandered off trying to find the lunchroom that was intended for the actual leaders of the world meeting at G7. Here is Joe Biden. How are your meetings going in Cornwall, Mr. President? How are your meetings going here in Cornwall? Okay, do you understand what just happened? He is at, he's in England at the G7 meeting and he's wandering through a, an obvious area where, which is intended for the commoners, not intended for the leaders of the world meeting at G7, lost, wandering around till Dr. Dr. Jill Biden has to scurry, scurry in and grab him, go, hey, come on, Joe, we're going this way. He doesn't even know where he's going. Doesn't even know where he's going. Next one, I wanna point out, he's giving a speech there, which he did, he did uh, make some remarks there, which, um, I, I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's truly actually I'm, I, Matt. I want to change. I want to do the next one. So this is when this is one uh, the with uh, the one about Boris uh, correcting Biden. So at this meeting, the G7 is actually I think nine leaders really there, but it's called G7. So they sit around, they have a meeting, they get started. Boris Johnson, he's in charge, he's making introductions. He does this, and then Joe Biden chimes in. If you can't hear the this, the audio isn't great, I'll tell you what it says in a moment. Okay. Boris Johnson doing his job, introducing him around the table. And if you couldn't catch that audio, Johnson says, and welcome to those who just joined us. President Ramaphosa, South Africa. President Moon, South Korea. And he's going around the table. And Joe Biden pipes in, and the president of South Africa, which Johnson had just said. Boris Johnson says, and the president of South Africa. And he's trying to be gentle. He goes, well, as, as I said. And Joe Biden goes, oh, you did? And Boris Johnson says, I certainly did, I certainly did. I mean, they're all, I mean, each of these instances I'm showing you individually, someone could say, oh, come on, you know? So he got lost, he wandered into the public area, couldn't figure out where to go to lunch. Or so he missed the introduction of this one person, so he got the name, so he, you know, piped up. You're supposed to be on top of your game, number one. Number two, you got a lot of handlers around you. And believe me, he has a lot of handlers trying to control him and he still can't function. So uh, next clip. So that was that was him and Boris Johnson trying to be polite and kind of smile. Yeah, Joe, I actually did introduce him already. And, and Biden kind of argues with him and Boris goes, no, no, I, I really did, I really did. Okay, next one I wanna show. So um, then Joe Biden decides to make some remarks to the press. And I wanna just play one little clip. Uh, this is um, when he's trying to make remarks about moving forward, the progress he made, blah, blah, blah. So he's talking about uh, this that he's trying to talk about uh, Syria, Syria, the country thereof, Syria. But he uses the word Libya. He talks about Libya. So he, let's play that clip. Where um, we can work together with Russia, for example, uh, in uh, in Libya, we should be opening up the the the, the passes to be able to go through and provide. Uh, provide uh, um, food assistance and economic assi I mean, 
vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. I think I'm going to try very much hard to uh, it, it is. And by the way, there's places where I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here, but let me say it this way. Russia has engaged in activities which are, we believe are contrary to international norms, but they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. And for example, the rebuilding of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, of, uh, of Libya, of, you know, this is, they're there. And as long as they're there without the ability to bring about some order in the, in the region, and you can't do that very well without providing for the basic economic needs of people. So I'm hopeful that we can find an accommodation that where we can save the lives of people in, for example, in, uh, in Libya, uh, that. Uh okay, that's three times. He can't keep track of what he's even talking about. And obviously his staff gave him notes and whatever reason he doesn't want to do this. By the way, before they went on this trip, uh, the first lady, Jill Biden, had, Jill Biden had said to someone in the media, oh, Joe is so excited. He loves his trip. He's thoroughly prepared. This is his thing. Foreign policy is his forte. Those were her words. Foreign policy is his forte. Can't even keep track. Now, you may be sitting at home thinking, well, I really couldn't keep track of Syria and Libya. I'm going to tell you, if you worked in the White House, if you were the president, if you advised the president, if you wrote things for him, if you helped him, you would know the difference. Maybe you don't, but he's supposed to. Okay, next one is, this is just a short little clip where he's kind of, you know, one thing that people with dementia do, they, they just kind of say whatever comes in their head. There's no processing thinking, should I be saying this? So here's what he had to say about getting in trouble with his staff. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get in trouble with staff. I don't do this the right way. Jennifer Jacob Bloomberg. Okay, he's calling, he's calling on reporters. And in a previous interview, uh, previous um, media opportunity with Joe Biden, I think it was like six weeks ago or so, the public became aware that, you know, when any president goes out to address the um, media, address all the journalists assembled, you know, you get to know the journalists. I mean, the president does. And you would often see President Trump leaving the White House and on the driveway outside the White House. He would have, these became the best press conferences ever. I mean, he would just be walking to um, Marine One to get in the helicopter and there'd be a bunch of, a gaggle of reporters hanging around and say, hey, Mr. President. And Trump would stop. He knew their names. He knew the issues. There's nobody coaching him. There's no cars in front of him. There's no teleprompter. He's just saying, they say, hey, you know, what about the wall? What about the vaccine? Whatever it was. And he could answer everything because he's mentally alert. Biden has cars in his hands and he's still being told, has been told by his staff, which reporters to call on because the reporters in turn have been told they have to run their questions by the staff. So these are pretend press conferences. These aren't real press conferences. At least not the kind that, that President Trump did in the White House uh, as he walked out of the White House toward Marine One. These are completely constructed, concocted, who you're going to call on, pre-cleared questions. And he still gets out there and mumbles, I'm going to get in trouble with my staff. If, basically, if he doesn't call on the pre-approved list of reporters, he has to look on his list to, be, to tell who he's supposed to call on. And in a previous press conference, someone had a side angle uh, picture taken and it was actually looked like 
uh, a notebook you might create for a big conference where you have colored tabs, you know, and colored tabs. They had pictures of the reporter. This is for Biden so he could follow, he could handle a press conference. Picture of the reporter, what network they're from or what newspaper, uh, what their name was. And then he would say, oh, okay. And he would call on them and order as his staff told him to do. He's clearly got a list here. He still can't handle it. Last thing from G7 was a just plain old weird thing he did toward, uh, as he's asked some question, uh, the, the, uh, the language, the tweet, Matt, that I sent you says, man, this is bad. When you're having these conversations with European allies who are very concerned about these sanctions, how do you justify that? And what are your plans? 120 days. Give me a break. Need time. Okay, he's, if you didn't catch what he said, 120 days, give me a break, need time. He's saying, I've only been president for 120 days. I don't understand your question. I don't know how to handle your question. I can't, I can't even figure out what you're talking about. So he gets this weird, husky, little whispery voice and says, give me a break. Like, I, you know, like, it'd be like a kid in kindergarten saying, you know, I don't know how to write yet. I haven't learned my alphabet or something. I mean, just so, so um, asking for an excuse because he's new in, in the job when he's been in the Senate for like 100 years and he was vice president before that. Anyway, I'm saying all this, as I say, I realize that some of you, uh, of my happy listeners, you may have voted for Biden or you may have thought, you know, Biden isn't so bad because you didn't like Trump's tweets or something else about Trump. But I'm making the point that he is not mentally cogent. His wife knows this. His staff knows this. The people who interact with him every day, you know, he's not completely gone. I mean, he's has some cogent moments, but he is the alleged leader of the free world. He represents America, the G7. There was, by the way, at the G7 also, I didn't bother grabbing this clip, but you know, all the leaders are standing there uh, for a, a picture, you know, for a, a photograph, and they were all, you know, uh, socially distanced place standing there getting their picture and then um you know they said okay we're going this way folks they all turned to walk away and biden kind of stands there until he's the last one so he's following all the other leaders of the g7 trotting along behind and um i didn't get that video but i did send matt the wonderful one last picture uh which i want to show this is one this is president trump at g7 in 2018 Okay, who's in charge in this picture? Raise your hand if you can tell who's in charge in this picture. Okay, I will tell you the answer. The guy sitting down, Trump, he led like a leader. G Biden goes to G7, he's stumbling around behind. They're laughing at him, numerous occasions laughing at him. And I think it's terrible and it's cruel. I, I am not myself laughing at Biden, but I'm asking you to think about who in the world could put him in charge of America, what kind of political party? What kind of wife? What kind of, who would do this? And the answer really is that he was viewed by the leftist cabal, desperate for power in this country, still more or less quarterbacked by Obama, a lot of George Soros thrown in there also, but the radical leftist agenda determined to take down America, America the free, America the brave, America the founding, and Biden was the ticket to get somebody into the White House because the voters did not otherwise like who, the other choices they had on the Democrat side. 
So Biden was the default because he looks harmless. He looks like someone's kind of goofy uncle, you know, a little bit bizarre, sniffs women's hair too much, a little too touchy, just the weird stuff, but you know, kind of harmless. And so he, the Democrat party decided, and I don't really, it's a Democrat party, it's the leftist cabal that now runs this country, realized he's the one and he's in. I'll tell you one little danger that emerged from G7, and, um, and then we're gonna get on to what I wanna talk about next, which is the Arizona audit. There's so much to tell you today. I tell you, when I get in here on Mondays, I feel like I need to talk in hyperspeed. You may think I'm already talking in hyperspeed. I can talk even faster, but I wanna make sure you understand me. <laughs> But there's so much to talk about. I want to get the Arizona audit. But one more point about G7. Upon arrival, the world's leaders, including Putin, who realizes, clearly realizes that Biden is, you know, mentally struggling, is suffering some form of dementia and is not cogent, is not able to handle things. There was a proposal that made by Putin to Joe Biden, essentially talking about the idea that America, like, kind of, let's make a deal. America would give up these cyber criminals who are Russian, just give them up to the, uh, to the Russians if the U.S. would agree to do the same. And so it's basically, you know, if we find cyber criminals, if we in America get Russian cyber criminals, don't worry, we'll just give them back to you. And, you, and, and then in turn, Russia will give ours back to us. Okay, so Fox News reports it as, if we agree on the extradition of criminals, then Russia will naturally do that, but only if the other side, in this case, the United States, agrees to the same and will also extradite corresponding criminals to the Russia Federation. Okay. Russia is not our friend. Russia has cyber criminals all over the place in America. And when they are arrested, we may be able to get information from them, we may be able to understand what they did, why they did it, who's involved, you know, how do we undo it? And so Putin, realizing he's dealing with someone who's not all there, saying, hey, let's just make a big trade, won't be such a big deal. And so Biden makes a statement about this uh, proposal by Putin, said, yeah, I'm open to it. Uh, if there's crimes committed against Russia that in fact people committing those crimes are being harbored in the US, anyway, blah, 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 he goes on and on. So getting back to the point, this is a deal Putin's proposing, and uh, I think Trump would have been alert to it. But what happened afterwards was National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan had to backtrack after Biden made his public statement and say, you know, you know um, Biden is not really saying he's going, to, he's going to be exchanging cyber criminals with Russia. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said, speaking to reporters aboard Air Force One on Sunday, instead, arguing criminals were already held to account in the U.S. He didn't say prisoners swamp. So what he's talking about is accountability. So he has to backtrack, walk back what Biden just said. Because Biden did say exactly that. Jake Sullivan said, no, never mind about that. So I raise all this to say, I think we're in a very, very, very precarious, dangerous situation in America. Because it's not clear who's running the country. It's certainly not Joe Biden. And I don't even think it's Kamala Harris. I think she'd like to run the country, um, but I don't think she is. I don't think she's competent for it. I don't think the voters, she never got above 3% in all the polling the Democrats did when she ran. So she's not, you know, she's not viewed as, oh, step up and run the place. And all she's done so far is completely drop the ball on everything Trump has asked her, I mean, Biden has asked her to do. So she's not, but you know, there's, there's behind the scenes, Barack Obama, Valerie Jarrett, 
George Soros, all sorts of other leftist cabal, and many people think people inside the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, the DOJ, the FBI, the kind of cabal that seemed to keep control of America even when Trump was in office. This, this behind the scenes, you know, people roll their eyes at the term deep state, but whatever you want to call it, deep state's a great term if you ask me, people really pulling all the strings and treating, even when Trump was in office, Trump was kind of a figurehead that had to humor, but they really didn't have to do what he was saying or try to help. With this, those same people are in charge and Biden is just nowhere to be found mentally. But I want to say about all this that the one reason I want to go through that is we're in extremely dangerous times in America. I'm going to turn to the Arizona audit in just one moment, but I want to make clear on a whole host of very, very, very serious issues. There is a, not just a growing divide in America, but a growing anxiety, a growing sense of how long are we going to tolerate this? How long are we going to pretend everything is okay? How long are we going to pretend that what the, is coming out of the Biden administration is really consistent with the freedom of America, the idea of America, and, and I'll tell you the issues that are really pushing people's buttons. People are concerned about election fraud. We're gonna to get to that in a moment more with Arizona. They're concerned about, we've never in America had the notion of COVID passports, vaccine passports, mandatory vaccines in order to be able to fly, work, go anywhere, enter a public building, very much still in play, even though red states are trying to speak up we are, we are entering an era where foundational freedom of America, freedom in America is under attack from our own government, from our own government, from the leftist government that now seems to be running America. And there are many, many Americans just not gonna do this. We're not going to just sit and pretend that a, an election that was clearly stolen is going to be somehow, we're gonna play it out and for four years do everything this illegitimate government is wanting us to do. So there's a COVID passports, there's critical race theory, which has gone wild in America, wild in public schools, the military, everywhere else, where the entire unity of America, the only basis for unity of the American citizens, which is the ideas that created America, being pushed to the side, mocked, ridiculed, and maligned by people who say every issue there is, every subject matter, every incident in history, every topic, every facet of American life must be seen through the prism of race, must be discussed through the prism of race, and many, many people are wide awake on the conservative side, on the right, saying, I can see what this is doing. This is the impending destruction of American society and culture. This is the end of any kind of cultural fabric and unity in this country. This is an attempt to divide us and they won't play along. Uh, similar things, people are asking, how long are we going to tolerate the utter abandonment of the southern border? How long is that? Do we just wait until there's no border left and we just have everybody in Central and South America who wants to come here? In fact, people from the Middle East, wherever they come from, they can all just walk in. I mean, when is the line going to be drawn saying, no, we actually need a border. We're going to wait four years. We can't wait four years. We cannot wait until 20. We can't wait till 2022. We most certainly cannot wait till 2024 to reinstate a border. We cannot do this. We cannot tolerate a government in Washington that is actually talking about the complete takeover of the election system through their preposterous, outrageous, unconstitutional, 
bill that passed the House is stalled in the Senate. It was H.R. 1 in the House, SB 1 or S1, this massive complete destruction of election integrity in America. That's what the Democrats are trying to push through. We don't have four years to wait. We can't let these policies get through and then somehow undo them. There's a great, great piece out by a great, great author. Uh, Kurt Schlichter has a piece out, um, Coma Before the Storm. Coma Before the Storm. I urge you to read it. It's linked on our website, americacanbetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, coma before the storm. He captures some of these ideas. We're sitting around watching everything in America, just the entire fabric of our country, the notion of having borders, the notion of having elections, the notion of having a military, not eviscerated by social justice warrior garbage. Everything about America is at stake right now. And many of the things that the left is doing to destroy America we can't wait until two years and four years from now before those things get, we, we put a lid on it, before we stop it. So I want to urge you to read that. And I want to talk the Arizona ballots and, and what's happening in Arizona. So they're obviously having this recount in Arizona. If you're a member of America Can We Talk, you heard the interview three weeks ago, I think it was, with Dr. Kelly Ward. She's a chairman of the Arizona GP. She is not personally involved in the recount, but she's certainly very, very familiar with the recount. What's happening in Arizona is basically Maricopa County, the most populous county in Arizona. There's now an audit going on, a hand audit, a hand recount of all the votes in uh, Maricopa County because there's great, great suspicion that there was massive fraud in that election and that actually Trump won. I mean, it's recorded. I think it was like 11,000 votes. They claim that Biden won Arizona. Uh, but I, what I want to get at in this segment is the Arizona audit and, and then what's going to flow from that. So the audit is still ongoing. You had now other states have sent people to review the audit, to look at the audit and see what... Um, uh, you know, what is being done. And so we now are up to 13 states. 13 states have sent people to uh, review the audit um, and, and just, just understand how do you do this really, really good, high quality, high integrity audit? Because what the left in this country, the left in the form of the Democrats in Arizona, the Department of Justice in Washington, media that just piles on all day every day with how absurd it is that anyone's even talking about recounts. The election is over. And in Arizona, they just keep counting. So other states, now 13 of them, have sent in people to review how you do this kind of audit. Because as everyone with a pulse knows, there is massive concern in America over election fraud, over whether or not the outcome of the 2020 election was legitimate. And many, many people believing it was not. We've talked many times in the show about the way, the, the variety of ways in which election fraud occurred in 2020, the massive mailing out of unsolicited mail-in ballots, we have testimony in several of the swing states by people who say, I sat there, I was there when I'm watching the election judge run the same ballots through the machines over and over and over. We have people testifying these allegedly mail-in ballots that came in pristine, no folds, just like they came out of a Xerox machine. These, there's something wrong here. And so, but you have an error, and then you have also the electronic election fraud we talked about many times in this, on this show. There's so many ways, tactics, 
by which election fraud seems to have occurred in 2020. And the more people in the American left say, no, nothing to see here, no fraud, this is ridiculous, right-wing kooks, right-wing crazy people, Arizona just keeps on counting. So you have uh, the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, Senator Doug Mastrioni, Repo- uh, a Republican, uh, visited, told a reporter he wants an Arizona-style audit in his own state. Pennsylvania wanted that. Alaska, State Representative David Eastman of Wasilla, uh, visited June 8th. He rep- uh, and, and the actual Republican uh, Party apparently funded the trip. Um, he's reviewing how you do this. Wisconsin, Missouri, Georgia. I want to tell you all the states. Wisconsin, Colorado, Michigan, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, and then we're back to Arizona. I want to make clear the reason all of these states are sending people to review the Arizona audit is because the American people smell a rat. They actually don't believe the outcome as reported in the 2020 elections. And they, at the very least, want to have a recount in this, because this will change everything. Maricopa County, you know, most populous county, Arizona, it'll change everything. And so that's where this is. And we don't have the outcome yet. And if you heard Kelly Ward's interview on my show, she said, you know, whatever the outcome is, we'll take it. We want the hand recount. And I got to tell you, the left is getting nervous. And the reason I say that is the U.S. Department of Justice has announced under the Attorney General Merrick Garland that they are, they are kind of in their heads auditing the audit. They are watching what is happening in Arizona, um, and they are they're essentially talking, they may be sending somebody in to audit the audit. And they are, uh, one uh, particular issue I wanna quickly share with you uh, that they raised is, one thing they're doing in Arizona is, you know, they, they, they have great concerns in Arizona that people voted who just found somebody else's voter registration, realized, oh, you know, Joe Blow over here, he's registered, he never votes, so I'll go in and vote in his name. That's what they're concerned about. In fact, I had friends during the post-election period prior to January 20th uh, who were working with the Arizona Republican Party and, and going around knocking on doors. And, they, and friends who told me this personally, they knock under high, you know, I'm, from the, I'm working in the election department um, and I see that you have uh, you know, three voters in this household who voted in the Arizona presidential election. You know, is that accurate? And getting answers like, no, no one in this house. We don't vote. We never vote. I mean, I'm out of registered years ago, but we don't vote. Answers like that over and over and over. So part of what the Arizona Republican Party wanted to do is say, in addition to all this counting, we want to canvas, which means go door to door and say, hey, by the way, we're with the election department, you know, this shows that, you know, you voted that, or, you know, whatever, Sam Smith lives at this residence and he voted. Is that accurate? Because they also found in previous canvassing that there were people who were registered addresses, first of all, that didn't exist. There was no uh, residence at the address given, or people had a name and an address, but when you go to that address, they've never heard of that person and that person voted from that address. So a lot of things went wrong in Arizona, but the Department of Justice is saying that Arizona's interest in canvassing and doing the knocking on doors and saying, hey, you know, Sam Smith lives here, you know, just confirming, did you vote in this election? And that is one thing Merrick Garland is claiming, the Department of Justice is claiming is impermissible, that it is a violation, it's intimidation of a voter because you might make them nervous if you knock on their door and say, hey, we're doing a little follow-up, did you vote? And so the whole intimidation argument, which is 
hogwash. This is a hogwash factor out the you know, wazoo. But they claim, oh yeah, people might be upset if you knock on the door. Well, yeah, you know what? They're going to be upset if you knock on the door. And the truth is, no one who voted at, from that residence actually lives there, or no one from that house voted at all. Yeah, they might be upset. But this Merrick Garland has found a hook, an excuse to argue that this may be a violation of federal election law uh, because it may constitute intimidating voters. So for now, Arizona stepped back and said, okay, okay, you know, if you're not going to let us, we, we won't do that for now. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not sure they will not follow up on it again sometime, but they won't do it right now. But I want to just share with you something, uh, because Merrick Garland and the DOJ is now talking about, you know, maybe sending people down to Arizona to audit this audit. And, he, and you know, he's talking about, is he going to get people inside the place where they're recounting? And be really clear, if you heard Kelly Ward in my show, she said, we have representatives of both parties. We have doing the recounting and watching the recount. Not like some Democrat states set it up where you had to watch, you know, from half a mile away where you couldn't see anything. You can see the audio and it's all on camera. It's all on camera. There's nothing. There's no funny business going on. And, and I think I'm sure Merrick Garland knows this, but the Democrats are getting nervous about the idea that suppose Arizona emerges and says, hey, you know what? As it turns out, Trump won handily, easily, not close. And then you have the 13 other states that have visited, and they're going to start looking and saying, you know, actually, as we look at our numbers, they don't seem right either. We're not too sure about this. So, and then, you know, the, the dominoes begin. Now, you know, it may emerge. I'll be the first to tell you here. It may emerge after it's all said and done. Arizona says, you know what? The uh, results, we are confirming the results. You know, Biden won by 11,000 votes or whatever it was. That could be the answer. And, and I would live with that answer. And Kelly Ward would live with that answer. But I won't live with the answer that leftists get to intimidate people trying to do an actual recount. And, and you should ask yourself why. Why would any Democrat official try to stop a recount? Especially, as I say, when they're members of both parties doing the recounting and standing there in the recount center watching. Merrick Garland is nervous. And I'll tell you something, when he, there was a great line just leading to my last point about on the show today. So Merrick Garland is talking about, you know, we might have to send somebody down there. I mean, you, know, you just guys can't just go uh, you know, recounting. We may have to send somebody down, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so there was a, uh, a woman who was a state senator uh, whose name, I shall tell you, uh, is Wendy, I think. Yeah, Wendy Rogers, an Arizona state senator who put out a statement in response to Merrick Garland. She goes, you will not touch Arizona ballots or machines unless you want to spend time in an Arizona prison. Maybe you should focus on stopping terrorism. The Justice Department is one of the most corrupt institutions in the USA. And here's where it lie, herein lies the problem, my friends. Literally millions of Americans have lost faith in the election system in the Department of Justice, in the FBI, and the CIA because of their conduct. Maybe even before Trump, but certainly the four years that Trump was in office. What they pulled, the shenanigans they pulled, the, the wrongdoing that was committed right out in front of people's faces, the American people don't have faith anymore in those entities. And the idea, I love this spunk of this lady saying, you know what, you're not gonna touch a ballot in Arizona. This is a state function, a state-run recount, a state-run audit, and you're not coming here. 
I love it and that more of that is needed because I think that the, I, I will say, I think this whole pushback by people uh, trying to push recounting, uh, this is not something the Democrats anticipated. And I should say, I actually think there was a major hand in interfering with America's elections coming from China. I think the electronic manipulation of, of voter tabulation software came from China largely, maybe other places too. But I think that occurred with an outside, you know, a, a non-American entity. But I think those that benefited and for those who participated in the massive unsolicited fraudulent uh, mailing out of unsolicited mail-in uh, mail ballots, those people and the people who thought they were just going to shut down discussion, shut down the count, announce we have the winner, it's Joe Biden. I think they never anticipated that people would push back. And something about leftism I want to say here before I get to my last topic. I am going to briefly touch on this new generation of American leaders. It's my last topic. But I want to say something about, about leaders and what is needed. In many ways, we're watching in America a very dangerous leftist cabal in charge of the country and doing everything they can to fundamentally, in, in Obama's words, fundamentally and permanently transform America. We have from election fraud to COVID passports and shutdowns and businesses lost and vaccine mandates and critical race theory, all sorts of other cockamamie things in schools to abandoning the border very overtly. They're not even hiding it anymore. Everybody come on in, wander through the U.S. And then they've got, you know, waiting in Washington until they think they're going to have a Democrat majority in the House and Senate and going to pass amnesty. It's right in our faces now. It's not hidden. It's not like you have to put two and two together and then you have to do this, connect this dot, this dot, this dot. People can see what's happening. It's right in our faces. So you have that uh, border ban, election law, all that stuff. And then I, what I, I really, what I'm concerned about is we don't really have a sufficient number of leaders in this country willing to stand up. And so I want to hit this last topic about leaders and who we need as leaders in this country. That woman I mentioned, Wendy, I already forgot her name, Wendy uh, what, Rogers, state senator, Arizona state senator, Wendy Rogers. We need a million of her. We need a million of Kelly Wards. We need people who will not wither under the leftist attack whenever you try to stand up and speak up for anything. Whether the topic is border security, and if you support border security and enforcing the border and enforcing immigration law, so you're called a racist and a xenophobe and a hater, you got to have leaders that say, I don't care what you call me, we're going to have a secure border. Same thing with election integrity. You have to have people who don't wither under the, the just hateful, vengeful uh, missile attack coming from the left every time someone questions election integrity. You have to have people who will stand and fight. And we don't have very many of them in this country. We do not have very many. We have a few in Washington, many kowtowed by the left, many kowtowed, including judges in this country, who don't want to really run afoul of the left-wing media mob mockery. It is a massive media mob mockery as the country goes to ruin and people try to stand up on these core issues about can we have a border and why can't we have our energy? Why can't we have our pipelines open? And why can't we have a secure border? And why can't we have free and fair elections? And why can't we audit our elections? There are people trying to say these things on the right, but very few. 
And when you are greeted with the, it's not just the government who mocks you, although the White House will and the DOJ, and, and, but it's also the media. Think of the lies the media has spewed into the American population's mindset, spewed into the culture of America for the last four years, and so few people understand the truth, are willing to say the truth, or want to stand up and speak it because they don't want to be the next victim of the media mockery mob. And it's, you know, we talk about the cancel culture, whatever you call it, it is the idea the left says, you're going to do, you American people, you're going to do exactly what we tell you, and you're going to believe what we tell you, and you're going to stand for what we tell you to stand for. So the lies, there's a great piece up on our website, americacanwetalk.org, called The Litany of Lies, Ask Why. The Litany of Lies, Ask Why. But you think of all the lies the media has told us over the last four years, and barely ever ever corrected. Russia collusion, no such thing ever occurred, but Trump-Russia collusion filled headlines for three and a half years. The final report by Mueller and everybody involved in the investigation after millions of hours and millions of dollars, there was no collusion. In fact, the only thing that was anything involving Russia and an American presidential candidate was Hillary Clinton, whose team cooked up the Russian dossier that kicked off the whole garbage attack on Trump. That the media is not interested in reporting. But the media planted that lie, it filled the hearts and minds and headlines of America, and no ever, no equivalent retraction, correction, or apology. Same thing with the very fine people comment by President Trump who made the comment that very fine people on both sides of the uh, argument existed about whether or not to take down statues of Civil War um, leaders from the South. Very fine people, he said, support keeping the statues. Very fine people support taking the statues down. That got twisted into, into him allegedly having said there are very fine people who are racial segregationists, which he did not say, which he denounced over and over. He corrected, but the media and Joe Biden ran on this lie and the media never corrected him, never. So the media lies are so massive. So you have the Russia collusion, the very fine people, Ukraine impeachment, I've run out of time, so I can't go into the details here, but a complete concoction that Trump did anything impeachable. Uh, the Russian bounty story, complete hogwash. Uh, so the, Trump's comments about soldiers in Normandy, he said nothing like what the media claimed he said. Every single person there said that never happened. He never said that. He never said anything like that. The media, they got, they got uh, a, an idea. They had something to attack Trump with, and they went with it. They did not care what was true. To this day, will not correct it. Same with, very recently came out that you know, Trump had supposedly wanted so badly to have a photo op holding a Bible in front of, that, in front of I think it's St. John's Episcopal across from the White House, that he had his own people, his troops, tear gas protesters to keep them away. Only recently it came out that the tear gassing was done by the DC police at the order of the DC mayor. But you, do you see an apology of that story anywhere, anywhere in the media? The, the get Trump, kill Trump, attack Trump crowd saw that as an opportunity to, to inspire people to hate Trump. They printed a lie, and even when the truth is now known, will not go back to it. I mean, you can go on and on. Hydroxychloroquine and COVID. Turns out it's extremely effective. I have a friend who just had COVID, had a doctor who would not prescribe hydroxychloroquine, end up in the hospital, very sick. Fortunately for him, somebody got him a prescription to hydroxychloroquine, 
back home two days later, totally healthy. I can go on and on, but the reason I'm listening this litany at this time as I close out the show is this. The media has lied to you about a dozens and dozens of significant issues facing America, dozens and dozens. And now we have a genuinely mentally deficient president. I'm not talking about his policies, what he believes in. I'm talking about his mental faculties. And the media looks you in the eye every day, smiles and nods. Oh yeah, Joe, you know, most popular president ever. Most votes ever in American history. 79% approval rating. I, I mean, they just look at you and they lie. And I'm telling you this because I want to inspire you as we move forward, dealing with whatever the outcome will be of the Arizona audit, whatever the outcome will be of all the other states that are probably going to start looking at things again, assuming the Arizona audit comes out the way it appears it will, which is that Trump won the state and the uh, votes were, there's many, many things wrong with the votes, duplicate ballots and other things. The media is going to go wild, wild mocking, ridiculing, attacking, trying to, you know, cancel and eviscerate anyone who stands up and says, no, we still need to go forward and figure out what the election outcome was in 2020. We still need to understand what really happened. We still need to the extent possible to expose the wrongdoers. We need to prosecute the wrongdoers. We need to have an America where people trust the election system. That message is going to be the message of those who are looking for election integrity. The media, after the litany I just gave you, the list I just gave you, I really urge you, whatever you read and what the drumbeat starts to be out of the media on election integrity, on critical race theory, and what's happening in the border, understand they lie, and it's not just because they happen to be liars, they lie because they have an agenda. The media are filled with radical leftists, just as leftist or more leftist than, than Obama was, than Kamala Harris is, than many of the radical leftists in this country. The media is filled with those people. They report on stories with an agenda to get to the result they want to get to. It's incumbent on intelligent patriots to read truth, to find truth, to not get sucked into the latest media, you know, concoction they come up with, but instead to insist on finding and, and understanding and then spreading truth. That's what my show does every day. I'm all about, as I always end up saying, truth about America. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today on why Flag Day offends leftists. The American flag is not Democrat or Republican. It is American. Lovers of the flag are lovers of America, lovers of the land of the free and the home of the brave. They are comprised of every race, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic background, skin color, national origin. And among the strongest lovers of the flag are those not born under it, but who came to it after living and leaving where men and women are not free. The simple truth, those offended by the flag, Obama, Mara Gay, they don't like America as founded. Fly the American flag at your home, wherever that home is, proudly. 
and on Biden's dementia at G7, the legacy media's contempt for the American people has never been more vivid. Joe Biden is embarrassingly, transparently senile, and everyone watching the videos sees it and knows it. Yet the legacy media will not report what is obvious. Move along, nothing to see here. Fawning over Biden as sage, a gentle man performing heroically is sheer fraud. Biden is occupying the office of the presidency. He is not executing its duties. America's national security is profoundly at risk so long as Biden continues to occupy the office of president. No American wants this or should want it. And ask yourself, who is running the country? On the Arizona audit and American reckoning, legacy media ruling class never thought American citizens would stand up. Mockery and condescension of doubters were believed to be unstoppable weapons but insistence on the Arizona election audit by Arizona reps has not wavered. Scrupulous, transparent procedures will drive an honest result. The chips will then fall. 13 states have visited the Arizona election audit site. Arizona results may start a cascade of audits in both red and blue states. Biden Attorney General Merrick Garland has threatened to audit the Arizona audit. But Arizona Representative Wendy Rogers immediately pushed back without fear. Honest victors do not fear audits and hire 100 lawyers to fight the audit. Arizona must stand firm, finish the audit, and release the results. Americans can handle the truth. And on a new generation of American leaders needed, America isn't a war for her survival. The politicians who allowed, fostered, and created this war will not be able to resolve it. The Republican Party establishment does not have fighters who will not flinch. America has faced a four plus year barrage of deliberate consequential lies impugning Trump, but the real attack was on American self-governance, a ruling class assault on American freedom. Florida Governor DeSantis is setting the tone, but he is a newcomer and he is alone. The need is for new, fearless, patriot fighters. Most incumbents do not have what the times demand. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can you America Can We Talk, truth about America. Can you hear